You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jasper. This is episode 125 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, and it's now time to discuss deep point of view and how it can help your story. I think this should be an interesting conversation, Autumn. I think so. I like this one because, you know, I like to put a deep point of view and this is like one of my favorite aspects of writing. Yeah, so this yeah. Will be really we were just looking at uh, what people liked as well on the, some of the past uh, podcast episodes and it seems like uh, the ones that are yeah. to do with writing craft are quite popular together with our very silly monthly ones where, where we just like, goof out on something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are my two favorite podcasts, so I'm with the listeners. Yeah, and I guess so. That means we have to do yeah. more of them, right? Well, uh, probably we shouldn't do awesome. like two or three times a month with uh, just silly stuff. I, I That might be a bit too much, but... Uh... <laughs> we can't have a whole, like, there has to be a month dedicated just to Just four humor. podcasts in a row with nothing but month. stupid <laughs> top, top ten lists. <laughs> <laughs> all right maybe not but it'll be fine <laughs> ah, but how how are things on your end autumn oh, well. oh they're good as you know but the listeners might not is i just got back from a trip from seeing my parents which i haven't been down to their house since like pre-pandemic of course because we were good little kids but it was so nice and also so hard because they they seem to have, like, it seems like everyone's saying, like, the pandemic was, like, what, a century? They seem to have aged oh, way no. too much in the last year. It's just terrifying. But, you know, they take their naps, and I got to spend some time with them. And we went, we did go out. I got my first vaccination. Ah, so I'm, you know, 50% ah. or 80% protected. I know. It's so awesome. I have my next one scheduled. And so we, we did go to a few breweries and we went out just a little bit. And then I cooked a huge Thai dinner. You know, I'm a foodie. I love food. So I was making pot stickers and tonga <laughs> gum. I can't pronounce it now. But right, right. I made a coconut-based soup and it was just oh, that's so nice. much fun. Yeah, it must so be nice fun. to go and visit your parents again after such a long while. Oh, it was. Ate, drank Uh-oh. too much beer, drank too much wine, ate too much sugar. It's just, you know, it's all the good things <laughs> What's in that life. not to like? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Got to hang out with my folks, and they are definitely, they are definitely my some of my favorite people on the planet. So it was really excellent. And I got to hang see my nephew, and he gave me, I don't know if you saw the picture I shared on Instagram and uh, Facebook, he gave me a 4K monitor, a 32 inch just gave 4K it to you? monitor so i yeah well he was he wasn't using it he does coding he do, he was doing a little bit of graphic design but he's gone more into coding so he's like i don't need 4k to read code he's got two right. monitors like 24 inch side by side he's good but yeah he didn't need this one anymore he knows i've been like doing graphic design on my 13 inch mac pro and then he gives me this monitor that is like as he put it, he's like, I could bring it to you, but it takes up my whole back. Wow. <laughs> so I'm so excited. It was like the best late birthday present ever. 
Um, it's spectacular. I have, uh, to find a place to put it in our <laughs> you tiny need to cabin, put it on the wall like, or something because it's too big for a table. <laughs> exactly. It is. It is too big for a table, and so yeah, we're and we don't have a ton of wall space because this cabin has a ton of windows. So we're like, yeah, it'll fit there or there. That's pretty so cool. I can't wait though, and I already. Yeah, I already was playing with a cover on it and going, oh, I need to fix that. I couldn't even see it before. So ah, it was good. a wonderful trip. <laughs> yes. Well, How we also had a trip. Uh, we went to visit my brother and his wife this past That's weekend, right. which is probably the first trip we've had in close to a year, I would say, due to COVID-19 as well. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was really nice, and the the weather was good enough for us to sit outside for a couple of hours on the terrace as well. So that was that was good. Oh. Um, yeah, I like that. That's um, pretty great. But also over the past week, I've started watching a new show on Amazon Prime. Uh, have you watched American Gods? Oh, no, I haven't. Not all. I've seen a little well, bit here I'm and only there. Two so episodes how is in, it? So, but I would have to say, I mean, I avoided for, I don't know quite why, but for a while I just felt like, no, it's not my thing. I don't want to watch it. Uh, but then I thought, yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I started watching it. It's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, after the first two episodes, I'm like, oh, awesome. I'm hooked. You know, it, it's like it delivers. It's <laughs> kind of the way that we like to write stories as well. You know, it, it's very, you don't quite understand what's going on. It's it's kind of a bit of a mystery thing going on there. Like, and, and the main character doesn't understand mm-hmm. either. So he's trying to figure out what is going on here. Why are these people so mm-hmm. weird? Did these, I think they're gods, but they're behaving really weird. <laughs> and they can do all kinds of supernatural things. But it's not overdone. Like it, It's oh, just small cool. things like he flips a coin and every time it, it lands on heads, for example. Uh, just like every single time. Oh, nice. uh, okay. And uh, just small stuff like that. But, <laughs> and I still don't quite understand after two episodes what they're trying to do and what this god actually wants the main character to do. I don't know. And uh, and so does the main character doesn't know either. But I like it. it it's very intriguing. And I want to watch more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, cool. Well, that's uh, my husband has some trainings through May. Like he'll be gone half the month at two different times. So maybe I'll go check it out. Well, it sounds like it'll keep me entertained. A week on the internet with the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. So back in episode 122, so that's not that long ago, uh, but we had Alex Newton mm. on from Kalytics, uh, no, and he shared some great market research about the fantasy genre. And Alex, Alex was so incredibly kind afterwards that he shared the latest detailed fantasy market report with me. Um, so I thought I would summarize the conclusions from that report here for everyone's benefit. Nice. Yeah, that sounds great. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I like know. it when you summarize I know, it. Then I, I know how your mind it. works, Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so i've picked out like what is like maybe eight seven eight different key points here that i thought i could just uh waffle off here and hopefully be a bit helpful as well all right excellent so first of all uh, <laughs> after romance and thrillers fantasy remains the third highest selling genre of the on the amazon kindle platform awesome. um and during the first COVID-19 lockdown period, there was a very clear and very sharp drop in sales of epic fantasy novels. 
but the good news is that here in 2021, mm. sales have been trending upwards again. So uh, I don't know why people don't want to okay. read fantasy when they're on lockdown, but uh, I will hold it against them. I'll, I'll have a grudge about that. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, seriously, you're stuck at home, don't you? Well, maybe it's like too, like you can't go out and be in a fantasy world. And, I don't know. We gave up figuring out people a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> So while the <laughs> epic fantasy market is quite large, uh, Klytics measured around 800,000 a month in royalties being paid for epic fantasy. So that's pretty good. Um, wow. But it also that's shows actually that there's yeah. in the top of the epic fantasy genre, uh, the competition is quite hard up there. So it means that it, it is a pretty good genre mm. to write in. Um, because there is a lot of readers, but to be on the bestseller list and uh, to uh, earn like on the top of the <laughs> top of the chart, you have to sell a lot of books. So <laughs> it's not it. easy to get to the top of those lists. Uh, but uh, but at least there is a lot of readers. So I think that's good news. That is good news. I mean, even a small piece of a very big pie. Still is a, a piece. It still nice tastes piece. good. Maybe, depending on yeah. what kind of pie it is, I guess. <laughs> I don't like apple pie. Is that not is True. That bad? <laughs> oh. I feel like most people like apple um, pie. Eh, you know, it's kind of bland. Yeah, well, over here, they there's a few states where they melt cheddar cheese <laughs> on top of apple pie, and I ain't touching that. But oh, okay. Can we okay. do like a chocolate pie? Is that possible? We could do chocolate. I, I prefer coconut, okay, but we could do a chocolate coconut and that'd be okay. good. I don't think this is in the K- Kindle uh, or Kalytics report. But <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, okay so need? the next one, this one will interest you, uh, Autumn. So if one looks at the top 250 covers in the bestseller list, then about half of them Ooh. show yes. symbols or scenery on the cover as opposed to any characters. Wow. That sounds that's so surprising for me because me as a reader, I look at it and I'm like, eh, you know, what does that tell me about the story? It's a pretty fantasy picture. Symbols are kind of interesting, but every time I've used a symbol picture, no, it hasn't no, sold I as find well it as my other bit books. Interesting but as well. Because then it goes on to say that twenty-three percent of covers shows a male, usually like warrior type of character on the cover, whereas fourteen percent mm. shows a female okay. character. Uh, but the interesting part, though, is that okay. if you compare the sales rank between the books that has a female character on the cover versus those that ha- those that has a male character on the cover, the female covers actually tend to rank higher than the ones with the male. Yeah, oh, yeah. and I think that's, that's very interesting cool. to know as well because if you look at the fact that there is 23% of the males on the covers, you might go to the conclusion to say, well, that means that it's better to have the males on the covers, but actually it's the opposite. It's better to have females. Right. Yeah. Well, we need to have more yeah. have more female cover. And we have an elven female assassin in our books. Uh, yeah. We do. Hmm. Yeah. How can I put her into book one? 
<laughs> All right, we won't get into cover speculation. Uh, another now. good news for those who write fantasy military. That's a category on Amazon. And here the sales Ooh. rank versus competition ratio is quite in your favor. So in other words, it's a pretty good category Ooh. to publish your books in. So uh I think that's good information to have. If you write that kind of book. Yeah. That is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or yeah, if you're thinking is. of writing that type and of book. Pricing? So three dollars and four dollars yeah. is the most frequent price point among fa- epic fantasy ebooks on Amazon. Okay. We, but the highest yielding price point is $9.99, followed by $7.99. Which I think is pretty good news for us because we are planning really? to sell around six ninety nine, seven ninety nine, something like that. So that's pretty good. That yeah. is the high highest yielding price point. Yeah, that is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. You think? Do you think that counts box sets or those individual uh, no, books? I think it is. I think in part it has to do with the traditionally published books that, where they charge more, uh, and there um, oh, okay. that probably screws the data a bit, I guess. Um, but what it does hmm, prove, though, that is that people it, yeah. are willing to pay the higher price point for books. Uh, so, if you make That's sure true. your covers are That's indistinguishable true. from the traditional published, meaning that they look just as professional then there is there should be no reason why people wouldn't want to buy it at at 6.99 7.99 something like that even 9.99 uh, i know we talked with uh actually yeah. twice i think uh, but way back when this podcast was a youtube channel we talked to joseph malik uh, twice and he sells all his books at 9.99 um so uh, it's yeah it's possible that's right but uh, anyway Three ninety nine, four ninety nine. That's the <laughs> most frequent price point. So if you want to stay within the frame of what people are used to, then that's probably the price point to go for. But we're gonna sell our books a bit higher than that. But uh, up to you, of course. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Um, and also, <laughs> about two thirds of all the epic fantasy books are outside Kindle Unlimited. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So there's only yep. a third that are in Kindle Unlimited. Oh, well, so that is, it makes me wonder if the people, if that's a smaller pool so that they're actually doing well, there's less competition, or if readers just prefer to be outside of, you know, they're wide. These books are wide. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I can too. only say from, got, my gut feeling is that uh, I think there's room to play in Kindle Unlimited. If you put epic fantasy in there, I, I think mm-hmm. I think you can get new readers because there's not enough epic fantasy books in Kindle Unlimited that they want to read. So I, I think it's probably a pretty good place to place your books. But that is just my gut feeling. I don't have any data to back that up. Yeah. So there's a ton more stuff in this report. So if you are curious, dear listener, I suggest that you go and check out the full report. It is mighty helpful in order to understand what is working and what is trending in the <laughs> epic fantasy market. And I only gave you the highlights here. So we'll add a link in the show notes so that you can check it out yourself. The full report will cost you $37, uh, but it is well, well worth it. And on to today's topic. Perhaps a good place to start is with a definition. 
Uh, is it? Oh, that's so well, boring. Sometimes <laughs> no, being helpful I think that's is a very boring. good place to start, though. <laughs> it's true. Well, it, should, it helps to clarify things. But yeah, so deep point of view, that is usually referring to a third person limited, which I think that sounds even more confusing, point of view. So a third person is when you use he, she, his, her, you know, that type, it's rather than I, which is first person. And limited means not omniscient. You literally are like riding along on the character's shoulder. You can only see, hear, feel, touch what that character feels, sees, and hears, and touch. So if someone is running up to the character from behind, the character is not going to see it. They're going to see what's in front of them, like their best friend standing up and throwing an axe and thinking, oh God, why is he trying to, why my best friend trying to kill me? Well, really he's throwing an axe at the, you know, the ogre coming up from behind. So those are the types of stories we're talking about. So if you write in first person, you're probably, you're already limited and you're already sort of in a deep point of view. You're really grounded, anchored into that character. So what we're doing is we're looking at anchoring the reader into a character, but using third person. Now, why is third person useful for fantasy writing? I know you know this one. Well, actually, before getting that <laughs> that far, I was also thinking that okay. maybe I, I, I tried to prepare some, some examples just to... Uh, Yes. You prepare. I things. always plan things, Autumn. Why do you keep pointing out that I don't <laughs> plan things? Because <laughs> I didn't. I just looked at the title today. Yeah, and said, oh, yeah, I'm good. And That's came. why I plan things. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, All right. Let's go um, with your plan. It was just to try to give a couple of examples uh, to maybe maybe make it a bit more real. But basically, okay. so we're trying to. With deep point of view, we're trying to sort of hit a style of writing where we immerse the reader as much as possible into the point of view character. Um, and I think it's basically like if you imagine watching your favorite films or TV shows, you know, we're trying to mimic in the writing that we only experience and sees and knows what the character knows. Uh, and th thereby we're limiting the narrative, so to speak. So... I tried to make one of each. So an example where we have like a third person limited, like that's what most of us fantasy authors normally write. And then another example with a deep point of view. And uh, I don't know how well I'm going to succeed here. So you'll have to, you're my editor anyway, Autumn. So you'll have to edit stuff here. <laughs> okay. All right. So first one, this is then regular third person limited. Okay. Are you ready? I need to do my voice, <laughs> storytelling voice. I probably can't keep that up without laughing. <laughs> okay. Finar heard the king's voice booming in the great hall, calling him in the way he had come to know, signifying the king's anger. What had he done wrong? Finar didn't know. Yet a familiar unease seized his stomach. Okay. So that was like, Third person limited. Okay. Pretty standard. Right? Regular. Yeah. And now my attempt of uh, transforming the same scene into a deep point of view. So, and now you're the okay. editor here, remember. <laughs> the penetrating force of the king's voice echoed throughout the great hall. Finar felt it in his bones and as he had so many times before. What had he done wrong this time? 
Come here right now, shouted the king, as if he was nothing but a lapdog. Feinar felt the knot twisting and tightening in his stomach with every step towards the red-faced man. That's perfect. Congratulations. I think that's right, so fantastic example. I think it's pretty obvious, obvious which one is most engaging, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The second one it was just, I mean, you, to me, it's so brilliant because you really, you feel, it's not, you're not just being told what is going on with the character, what he's thinking and feeling, but you kind of, you feel it. You're like, oh, the gut twisting, you, the anxiety, it, it heightens to me, uh, like if I'm thinking of it as a art terms, it's upping the contrast. You're getting that really kind of gripping engagement, which you don't get with just regular yeah, third person sort of, or third person limited. Yeah, you're, you you're getting definitely don't get the skin of the character, right? You, you, you feel all the blood boiling and yeah. all that stuff, right? And that, that's the the anger or the sadness or whatever yeah. the character feels that we feel it. And, and that's, at least that's how I feel like... Um, Deep point of view just brings so much more to the story. Uh, I actually learned in preparing because yes, yes, I do prepare for these episodes, Autumn. But in preparing for this episode, I uh, oh, I actually learned that uh, star. <laughs> this uh, deep point of view writing is actually only became popular in writing like twenty to thirty uh, to forty years ago. Uh, I didn't know that before researching this, uh, so that yes. that's, that I find that quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, before that, even if you look at um, Tolkien, it is technically omniscient, even though you're mostly staying with Frodo. But there are times Tolkien head hops because, you you know, no one asked whatever people were doing. They had more of a narrator type of voice. Now we have more of a character Yeah, voice, that's also why I said in the more. beginning, it's, it's much more akin to what you normally see in movies and, 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 and so on. I mean, I know, of course, you don't get under the skin of the character in the movies, but but watching the characters in a movie, you, you sort of get the feeling about their feelings, right? It's different from being told that uh, then he went there and then he did this and, and so on. Exactly. And it's, I mean, that's where you, you have those little tension. I think it really ups the tension to be in deep point of view. And even in movies, you have that moment where you might dwell on something like just the breathlessness or a panting, or I've watched a movie recently where the whole scene was black and you just heard someone breathing. That's deep point of view. That is when you are just, everything is down to just that one little focus. And because it is so tension filled and emotion filled, you really engage with the character. The bad news is if you hate the character, you're really like, oh, I don't want to engage with this character. But if you like the character, if you were rooting for them, oh, you were just like gripping the book or the Kindle. Now I talk myself so far away from what you were saying early on that I completely forgot now. Oh, well, why why are fantasy authors specifically writing in third person versus first person? What's the better angle that this is what is the main mode? I do know yeah, there are, are some first person stories out there, but majority yeah, of authors are third well, person. I, I think a large part of it is because we like to have multiple point of view characters. Uh, so when we write uh, third exactly. person limited, it allows us, for example, between chapters to switch to another character, and then we're getting inside the head of that character. But if you were writing in first person, you can't call every character I. Then it would be pretty confusing for the reader who who is I now, and then it's all of a sudden another person. So yeah, as you said, 
fantasy exactly. novels do exist with the first person, uh, but they are they are pretty limited. Uh, that you know, there's not that many of them. I think in the grand scheme of things. No, mostly urban fantasy. Yeah, I think urban fantasy is mostly an eye-based story, which surprises me. Um, and even when I write for urban fantasy, I always stick to third person because I like characters. And that's what epic fantasy, I mean, think of Tolkien, how many dwarves and everyone that was running off onto this quest, all the hobbits. I mean, there were so many characters. You could not write <laughs> no, that in first person. Or you would be like, who are we in? <laughs> who are we talking about now? Yeah, I'm in Smog. I just stick with Smog. We're fine. But I think as well, for for this whole thing to actually work, you have to know your point of char- point of view characters really, really well, um, because otherwise you you simply won't be able to write their personal point of view about what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. There is that. You definitely, it's upping things a notch because when you're in deep point of view, everything comes as if it was from that character. So even your word choice, uh, one of my examples is I had a character who hated her father. So every time I'm in her point of view, did she ever think of even her father as father? No, she thought of him as first name, as father. She would never say daddy or dad because that is, you know, that's an emotional resonance. And so it is literally picking every choice, your metaphors become from that character. So you should do that anyway, but you really have to do it with deep point of view. So if you have a character that's a sailor, they're going to be thinking someone is a, they're tense, like taut rigging. You're not going to have them think, you know, oh, they're stressed like a farmer under the hot sun. That's not what they're familiar with. You have to be very specific with every word choice so that you're just kind of pulling the reader in to this very narrow window of what it is like to live. Yeah, not only that, also in terms of the character's personal motivations and and the background of the character, even, you know, like Mm -hmm. something happens and the character don't like it. uh, So you'll need to know, well, the reason he doesn't like it is because uh, so-and-so happened uh, in the past and it brings back bad memories and stuff like that. That sort of thing you cannot seed into the narrative unless you know it. So it, it exactly. puts more demand on you to in your character creation process um, to really know them. Of course, uh, in the plotting guidebook we wrote, we have a whole section that will talk you through this. <laughs> uh, we will put a link to that one in the show notes as well. So, so if you're interested, you can check it out. But at any rate, whether you follow our guidebook or you do it by yourself, I think the main point is just that you really need to understand all those details about the character. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard. You can write the point of view, but it's going to be very hard to do it well unless you know those things. Yes. And it's just going to take practice anyway. But yeah, and I think one of the other things is, like you mentioned, you are you have this character reacts a certain way because of something that happened in the past, but not always jumping back into that flashback or even explaining, like, acted, you know aggressively or said i don't want to hear about that be and, and then has and then you do that character he, he thinks about the time that blah 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 you don't do that in deep point of view you don't go wander off into character thoughts either you you really it's picking and choosing what is going to be relayed to the reader slowly and over time it should come out in either dialogue or 
Um, maybe you'll do a flashback later or you'll have something else to explain why that reaction is. You can allow the the reader to be a little bit like, oh, I don't know why they did that exactly, but it's an obvious trait. Something triggered this emotion. And that is definitely one of the writing techniques too, is that you actually get rid of things like he thought, he wondered, he all those little verbs that says the character is thinking that. No, no, they just do it. You have that thought. Yeah. You do this action. You don't yeah, and, and, think about doing it. Well, at least some of what you said there, I think that that applies just as well to third-person limited. Uh, you, you should try to not wander off into all these kind of other explanations as well. Uh, that's not specific to deep point of view as such. I, I think it's, yeah, it's it's just good writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good writing. <laughs> Jinx, we both said it. <laughs> Yeah. Too funny. But is there I was just wondering exactly. so, because hmm. you being the editor here. Um so if for example, <laughs> let's say I being the listener here, and now I wrote I wrote my first draft and now I'm sitting down and I want to edit it and I want to make sure it is deep point of view well enough, if I can say it, put it like that. Um so is there anything you would say like these are sort of the checklist or these are the things that you should be top five things you should be looking for something like that is is there any anything you do when you edit autumn to to make sure that the the end product is well in or written well in deep point of view absolutely and i mean the first one i think is taking out those things like he thinks or he feels like uh if you had a sentence like he yeah if he he feels a sweat of sweat bead on his forehead no you just go straight to sweat how it feels how does it feel when the sweat runs down the forehead right on his skin yes exactly Exactly. You you try to really like imagine what it would feel like to do that. And you cut out those words like he feels and he thinks because those actually create a little barrier between the character and the reader. And the whole point of deep point of view is to just remove that barrier. And another thing is you often see people say like he thinks about this or he thinks that she is an idiot. No, the, it would literally be like she's an idiot. That would be the character thought. You would stop doing those little introductory phases because it is literally like journaling in third person. You want it to seem like you are just totally seated in that. Yeah, I, I think that that is exactly the key, right? I mean, if, one, if you imagine yeah. yourself when you're writing, if you imagine yeah. I am inside the character, I wouldn't say to myself, "I'm thinking." I would just think it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Exactly. If you wouldn't write it in first person, you won't write it in deep point of view. And so, yeah, like I think about going to the grocery store. No, you just go to the grocery store and that is how it works. And those are the important little clues. And even like I said, the italics, a lot of, I sometimes get readers who will read back my stuff. It's like, well, this is a thought. It should be in italics. Well, you don't have to do that in deep point of view. It should come across very naturally. If you want to see some really good deep point of view, go read some George R.R. Martin. He is an expert at really anchoring into a character's head and really feeling like that world comes alive through that character. And that is, you know, you really make sure you dwell on the other senses, seeing what else is going on so that you have the thinking, the feeling, the touching, the tasting, 
all of those things are very much alive and nuanced throughout every single chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually, I don't know if 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 you agree with me here, but I'm all, almost thinking like, isn't a lot of this really a bit of just a mindset shift on your approach to writing rather than it is like new technique as such? That's That's almost how I think about it. I think it is. It is just realizing that the reason first person is so spectacular is that you are really just with one character and you feel so connected with that character. And that's what gets you turning pages is because you want to see what happens to that character. So this is being able to do that exact same thing and those exact same emotional pulls, but with multiple characters. And again, though, this is where you need to be careful is that you then don't want to have 10 characters in your story you want to keep it as limited as possible and when it really becomes hard is when you switch to a character you don't like or like the villain you still want to do the best you can to be that character's voice and show the world through their perspective and that's why it works so fantastic when you have those gray characters that you have good characters that have some bad flaws and bad characters that have some really good ones. You can show that they're really doing all the wrong things, but for the right reasons. And that's where it's so impactful. It makes the stories, I think the ones that really linger with you after you close the book are the ones that are written in deep point of view, because you just really cannot get these characters out of your head. And when you're writing it, you really can't get these characters no, out of and your No, and it's head. also a challenge in the sense that uh, we recently completed uh, our uh, first uh, reader magnet, a uh, short story, um, where the character, mm-hmm. he is uh, one of the ember dwarves in our setting, which means that um, the ember dwarves are not very nice in our setting. Uh, no. no, and, and the, the thing is that people, no. it can actually be quite a challenge <laughs> to write a character like that because he can come across as not being very nice. He's not very likable necessarily because that's the way he is. That's a part of their culture. Um, So it was a bit of a challenge to write it in a way whereby the reader actually understands (laughs) where the guy is coming from, you know, that, that they understand like, he's not doing these things or he doesn't view things this way because he wants to be evil or anything like that. It it is just, that's the way he grew up. That's, that's part of his culture. Uh, And of course, deep point of view is excellent at Mm -hmm. explaining those things, but at the same time, it, 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 it's also a bit of a challenge to, to nuance it a bit so that it doesn't come across as, as too blatant because it's quite easy to sort of say, like you said, well, use grocery shopping before, right? But uh, but if it was if it was something <laughs> fantasy related, like uh, all people, uh, all humans, I hate humans or whatever, right? Uh, then it's very easy to just say that and move on. But then you're also leaving the reader with the feeling like this is a complete idiot, this person, right? I don't like that that character. So, <laughs> right. I, I guess what I'm trying to say and what I'm talking towards is probably as well that you need to be a bit mindful about how you do it as well. So, so your characters do not end up coming across as, uh, well, assholes, basically. <laughs> like, you don't want that either. 
No, no, I think that's really important. I mean, and for some reason, maybe this speaks poorly of me, but I've often been able to get into my villains easier than a few other characters. I had one that was a politician and an extrovert, and he could just whip off these speeches. And to get into his mind, oh my God, it felt like I was a contortionist. But that's just that you're trying to put on this other person's skin. And it's even more so you have to understand how they act, why they act, how they would see things and why they care about the things they do, even if it's completely different from you. And you have to avoid explaining it from an outside perspective, like, oh, humans are horrible and just go on. But most humans, you know, and then going into a rant about what's going on with humans. No, you have to be like humans, those stupid meat sacks, you know, you have to, they're always caring about things that, you know, like money and whatever. And that's not what the door is square, whatever it is, you have to stick really deeply into that mindset of that character and that race. And you really, like you said, you really have to have all that figured out to start writing. And even when I used to have to get into deep point of view, if the character wasn't already alive in my head, I would have to do some journaling. I would have to do some day before stories, I'd call it like the day before they ended up in the novel. And I would write those in first person. And I'd be like, Oh, you know, that's why this character is acting this way. And that's why that way, when you start on page one, when they enter the story, you're like, you already have that figured out, you know, their mindset, and you can kind of push yourself into it. Because you really do have to almost write a little bit before you start writing to really understand the character. Or go back and add it in when you edit, because that's the other thing to look for is going back and, you know, checking over all your work and seeing where that mindset could be better, where you can cut out words, where you can really make sure it's coming from that character's worldview and their lens of how the world works Mm. and what they're really aiming for. The other thing that I find quite difficult with the point of view is, um, for example, in the novels we're currently writing, we have a, a goddess. And when you're dealing with mm. basically a deity, you know, some somebody who is, who is just not of our world and probably have motivations and, and drives that we don't even understand. There, I, I really feel with her, when writing her, I feel it's very, very difficult to uh, to do other than basically more standard third person limited uh, around her because mm-hmm. I don't know how she feels. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in its own way, I think that's kind of exciting because with third person limited versus deep point of view, so you have a character that's kind of unknowable. And you just kind of change how they're being portrayed, especially because, you know, if that character is maybe not a point of view character, but you hear, see them more in dialogue, or even if you're in their mind, but it's kind of less clear, less anchored, that's, you can do that purposefully to make this character seem more unknowable. And it's a very slight difference, but you can use these to your advantage. And I think that's sort of what's cool about it is that you don't have to have every single character anchored into your point of view. If you have one that is more lofty, you can keep them out of it. And one of the neat things is, is if you are misleading a character and they're firmly believed that a is going to happen 
and that is what they're aiming towards. And that is maybe the lie they've been told, but they believe it 100%. And so the reader will believe it 100%. But all the while, you know, C is what's gonna happen. And you have this huge shift. It can be so much more dramatic. And maybe you shouldn't delight in lie to your readers. But it's so much fun to lie to your readers and deep point of view. And it's believable, because there's not that omniscient pullback where you're kind of like, hinting at it, the character is going full tilt towards believing this is true. And they kind of get the carpet whipped out from under their yeah, feet. Yeah, you when can't the have some of those, uh, like, what the character didn't know was, blah, blah, blah. That You sometimes see that in some... I think yeah, Tolkien did this as well sometimes, like, what Frodo didn't know at this point in time oh, yeah. was, da-da-da-da. That kind of thing is no-go in, in deep point of view. No, and I think a lot of writers think that that is building the tension, but to me oh, yeah. it is completely removing it the, the tension. the emotion there, right? It's maybe you have, yeah, maybe you have a little bit of curiosity for it, but it's so much more like get you gasp when the character is just yanked a different direction that you didn't see coming. But when you hear like this, these little clues, but what he yeah. didn't know is over on the Shire. Oh, you know, that's, you're just suddenly pulled out of the story and out of that character's head. And it's just not as much fun. You can actually put the book down at that point and walk away. Yeah, so it's I would fun. say that uh, in conclusion, um, I think I would pose a challenge to the listener. You know, if if you've never written in deep point of view before, try it out. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's fine. But just try it out. Try to imagine yourself in the skin of the character and write what you feel, what you hear, what you see, what you taste, taste what you can touch. And that's that's what you're allowed to write. Nothing else. You're not allowed to say he didn't know this and he didn't know that or explain this and that like you would normally. You have to go with what the character knows and feels and try to write a chapter like that and compare it to your other chapters. And I almost want to say with certainty that you'll find that it's better. You'll find you'll find that you resonate with the character more. You'll find there's more action. There's a lot less tell, a lot more show, and it'll just be like you'll be like, "Wow, this is this is pretty good." And if you don't come back and let us know, and I want to see the difference because I I firmly believe deep point of view. Those are the stories that I love to read, and they're the ones I love to write. And I think you'll find other readers react differently if you show what you wrote to someone else what no matter what you think if you show it to someone a reader see what they yeah, say indeed. which one they so like i better. don't know is is there any like did we miss some important elements here when it comes to deep point of view uh, autumn i don't think so it <laughs> lying is lying to readers <laughs> and no head hopping <laughs> I just like doing that. I love misleading my readers. I have to admit it. And just that it's an important way of of showing even your evil characters. It really, it's a useful technique, even if you then switch to third person limited for some characters that are much more unknowable. It can be really Okay, fun. so next Monday, we actually are going to talk about one of my favorite topics because we are going to talk about creating a magic system. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. 
Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.